A young mother was murdered in December of 1985 near Mineral, Washington. Her case has remained unsolved for over three decades, along with the murders of a couple that took place just four months earlier. These cases have been tied together somewhat by location, but mostly because of tube socks found at the crime scenes. Are these cases actually connected? Well, that depends on who you ask. The show Unsolved Mysteries couldn't even figure this one out. But now in 2020, DNA might finally reveal the truth about what happened to Diana Robertson. This is Washed Away. Before we get to Diana, I need to tell you about Stephen and Ruth. And since we're talking about murder, you're going to hear some details about cause of death and violence and listener discretion is advised. On Saturday, August 10th, 1985, 27-year-old Stephen Harkins, his 42-year-old girlfriend Ruth Cooper, and their dog set out for a camping trip near Thule Lake in Washington State. Stephen and Ruth worked at a vocational school together, and when they didn't show up Monday morning, their co-workers knew something was wrong. On August 14th, four days after the couple had left their place in Tacoma, Stephen's body was found. He was still in his sleeping bag and had been killed by a single gunshot wound to the head. His dog was nearby, also shot and killed. But Ruth was nowhere to be found. In fact, she would remain missing until October 26th, when a skull was discovered near Hearts Lake in Pierce County. That's about a mile and a half from where Stephen's body was originally found. And two days after that, a body and purse were found that confirmed it was Ruth Cooper. She had died of a gunshot wound to her abdomen, but also had a tube sock tied around her neck. Some write-ups theorize that Ruth was decapitated since her skull was found Uh, separated from her body, but it's also possible that her head had been removed by animals after death. I know it's hard to think about a detail like that, but it could be important to figuring out who did this to her. While there are some suspects who've been looked at over the years, no one has been held accountable for taking the lives of Stephen and Ruth. The couple's murders were a terrible tragedy that you would never imagine happening again, but it did. They're found uh, up by Mineral off on a logging road. And there's a guy with his dog, and he wanted to give his dog a break, so he pulled off on the logging road, and he sees this car. And everything's covered with snow. I think there's about six inches of snow on the ground. So he sees the car, and, you know, he calls um, the sheriff's office, and they respond out there, and they go, oh, shoot, that's the car that was missing. You know, they run the plates, and you know, come up and find out it's the it's Reamer's vehicle. And at the back of the vehicle is um, Robertson, and she's nude from the waist up, and she's got jeans on and stabbed 18 times, so the cause of death is, you know, stab wounds. And uh, her arms are in a ligature behind, behind her back. That's Detective Pat Beal, once retired but now working on cold cases for Lewis County, and he's talking about the woman this episode is focused on, Diana Robertson. She was a beautiful 21-year-old mother of a two-year-old girl named Crystal. She lived in Tacoma or Puyallup, 
in that area, I found conflicting reports, and she was in an on-and-off-again relationship with Crystal's dad, a man named Mike Reamer. He was 36. On December 12, 1985, the family of three reportedly drove off in search of a Christmas tree and to check on some of Mike's animal traps. He was a trapper. He, well, his full-time job was a roofer out of some company out of, out of Tacoma. But his part-time job, fun job, I guess, was, was trapper. His dad was a DNR guy back in the day and, you know, brought him up in the woods and taught him how to trap and do all this stuff. So he had a designated trapping area. So periodically, they, she would follow him around with his, with his trapping stuff. So that morning that they come up missing, he picks her up at about 7 o'clock in the morning, and they start with the trapping routes. And they we have visualized little people actually saw the two of them, you know, at different locations where they dropped the boat in. He, he drops the boat in and floats up river, and she meets him a little further over at, you know, at another place, and he's checking his traps and things like that. So they were doing that down in the um, Puyallup area. So they're all together, and the kids, the kids with her, and they're all in the truck, and you know everything seems hunky dory. And then, sometime shortly after eight o'clock, they go to his father's house. Two of them go to the father's house. They go in the house, the daughter, and Reamer go into dad's house, but mom's not there at that time. So we don't know what happened to mom between they started trapping and, and things like that. Dad offers, hey, you want some pancakes and, you know, bacon, breakfast and stuff? No, 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 we got to go, Dad, blah, blah, blah. Gets in the car and they disappear. Shortly after that, the little girls dropped off at they didn't have Walmart back then, Kmart there in Spanaway. Back in the day, it was the last business complex before you got out in the boonies. So the little girl, I mean, what started this whole thing was the little girl was found later in the day and turned in as, you know, a lost child. So they didn't even identify her for like two days. You know, they put it on the news. We got this child missing. And so now we got the child found and identified, but it took like a couple of days. Now you have the other two missing, you know, mom and dad, who are in a very strange relationship. If this case is starting to sound familiar, you've probably watched a lot of episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, or at least the two that have featured Diana Robertson and Mike Reamer. You might even remember Robert Stack's voice saying something along the lines of, Mommy's in the trees. That was reportedly the only thing Crystal, Diana's young daughter, could say after she was reunited with her grandparents. For years, that detail has haunted web sleuths and citizen detectives, and it's easy to understand why. They've also spent a lot of time speculating about how Crystal ended up at that Kmart when her mother was found miles away in the forest and her father seemed to have vanished. But as you heard Detective Beale theorize, Mike simply could have dropped her off on the way out of town, though it's hard to imagine Diana being okay with that. So the family was last seen together on December 12th. But Diana, she wasn't found until February. And Mike, he was missing until 2011. Here's Detective Beale again. In 2011, a homeowner that has some acreage over there, you know, like 20-some acres, he's fixing to sell his property, so he wants to go out and find his property stakes. What they do with property stakes are steel rods that are driven in the ground, so you take like a little Geiger counter out there, you know, a little uh, metal detector, and you search around and find your corner stakes. This homeowner is out there looking for this corner stake, and he finds a skull on the ground. 
And he thinks it's a bear skull. He doesn't know. So he goes to his neighbor and says, hey, man, I found this up here. And he goes, holy shit, that's not a bear skull. We'll call, you know. So they call the sheriff. They go out there. And now they got this other scene. So they search this area. Now the skeleton isn't totally intact because animals. And so they search an area. They get they get the dogs out there and they search the area. And they find, you know, maybe half of the skeletal remains in an area about within maybe 50-yard radius of where where the skull was found. So in the skull, through the eyeballs going up through the skull, was a tree growing up. They cut the tree, of course, so so they can take it and they count the rings, and it goes back 35 years. It goes back to the number of years of the tree that his body was there. So his body had been there for a long time. Oh, wow. So that was a way of knowing how long he had been laying there. That's interesting. Okay. Within a year or two, I mean, you know, you don't, the assumption is that something happened. He walked across the road and died there. Now, whether he killed himself or he was injured from a scuffle or we don't know that. We'll never know that. His dad said he had a 22 caliber pistol with him that he always carried. So that pistol's never found, but who knows up in those woods, it could be from A to B. There is such a great area. There's no way you can search it all. But now when you go out and you map it, and I'm looking at the map right now, from where the vehicle was found to where he is sitting or laying down or the majority of his bones were, is, by the way, a crow flies around 1,500 feet. It's not very far. You know, it's very easy to walk if you're injured or whatever. Now, we know he didn't shoot himself in the head because his skull's intact. You know, there's no bullet trauma or whatever in a skull. So, you know, we'll, I don't think we'll ever know how he died. At this point, you're probably wondering what the heck happened to these people. And what do Diana and Mike have in common with Ruth and Stephen? You know, where is this going? Well, something that ties Diana's murder to Ruth's is that she was also found with a tube sock around her neck, which I think is a pretty significant detail since strangulation wasn't her cause of death. It was stabbing. And it wasn't Ruth Cooper's cause of death either. She was shot. And yet a tube sock was used in both murders. Murders that happened just four months apart. And in the same area of Washington State, two sets of couples out in the woods, separated from each other and discovered at different times. It's eerie. And the tube socks are why these murders are often discussed together as part of the tube sock killings or mineral murders, as they're usually called. But Detective Beale isn't sold on them being connected at all. People back in the day were looking at linking because of this tube sock that was possibly used. That's what people looked at. Oh, my God, a tube sock was involved, and it's, you know, it's got to be the same people. and You know what I mean? Something like that. Well, those tube socks back in the day were analyzed by, on their case and our case, and they're... So they didn't come from the same batch or the same run or, you know, anything like that. So when, when they used to buy the two sex, not always, but, you know, if you went into a store, you bought it, you bought a pack of eight or ten or four or five or, you know, something like that. You know, if you just read it on the surface, that looks like it might be something and is probably not, but it very well could be. We don't know for sure. He says that law enforcement has their own theory about what happened to Diana And it involves who's usually the first suspect in a case like this, the husband or the boyfriend, a.k.a. Mike Reamer. So one of the things that that we found in, you know, going over 
the minute records and, and things like that. They had the restraining orders against each other because he was he was hostile, cut her tires, you know, several different times and you know, harassment and she was you know, she dated another guy, there was those type of problems and anyways he, he had a lot of anger issues and he was also under counseling, court mandated counseling, and he was prescribed um Ativan. And Ativan apparently can de escalate people's anger. I guess they give it to people that have anger issues. And it's normal prescription. But if you read the side effects of it, so we do our research and we do the, read the side effects. Well, the side of, one of the side effects of it is fits of rage. So you go, oh, okay, we got a domestic violence situation. We got a fits of, you know, potential, we don't know, potential of fits of rage from this medicine if he's taking it, you know, regularly. So, I mean, it kind of falls in line with with the theory that we're kind of developing. So it, it kind of points towards the domestic violence, um, you know, with all the other things, to me anyways. Before we go any further, I wanted to give you some stats about domestic violence here in Washington state. In 2017, there were at least 55 domestic violence-related fatalities, including 35 homicides and 20 abuser suicides. And back in 2011, there were over 47,000 domestic violence offenses that were reported to the police that year. And nationally, one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. That could include slapping, shoving, pushing, any kind of violence. The Washington State Coalition Against Domestic Violence is a group that's working to reduce those numbers by helping domestic abuse survivors and providing resources and options. You can learn more at wscadv.org. And if you believe you're in a DV situation and need someone to talk to, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. So it sounds like law enforcement has had their eye on Mike as the suspect in Diana's murder since 1985. But what if he was a victim himself and these murders were committed by an unknown serial killer? That's been my theory all of these years, and I know I'm not alone. In fact, when his skull was found in 2011, it was reported that Mike was no longer being looked at as a suspect. But after talking to Detective Beale, it should be clear that that isn't true. Surprisingly, though, this might be the year that that changes. 1985, you know, they didn't have DNA and stuff like we have nowadays. So once they found his body and they linked them together, this is in 2011, they go back and they look and they go, holy cow, we can send some of this stuff in for, you know, process for evidence. And the technology from 2011 until today is 10 times more advanced than it was 10, 15 years ago, it's amazing the stuff that they can do. You know, the labs, the extracting things and stuff like that. Well, anyways, when the guys in 2011, they went and they took this ligature that was used to tie her arms behind her back and, and her bra. That was also used to tie her, you know, kind of wrap her arms up. Um, they sent that stuff to the lab and they got a DNA, uh, a partial DNA profile. So that's on file. We We have that. When I'm reviewing the case and I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, we got this. Did anyone ever check Reamer out? You know, they got his bones and everything. Did we ever pull his DNA and check it against that DNA? And no one ever did. So what we have is we've taken um, his teeth and they're at the Washington State Crime Lab in Vancouver right now trying to get DNA out of him. And 
once that's done, and matter of fact, I um, last Friday I just sent an email off to the gal that's doing it, saying, "Hey, any luck yet? You, you know, I mean, we can't bug him like on a daily basis. We do it every couple months." I haven't heard back, but his teeth have been up there. So if we get a DNA, we will get a DNA profile out of these teeth. I'm having confidence. <laughs> I sent like five teeth up there, you know, all the molars. You know, and this is all iffy stuff. So if we get it, then they'll check that DNA and do a YSTR test to the DNA that was found in that ligature. Now, if it comes back to that person, to Reamer, you know, it's kind of a close case. Now, we'll never know what happened to him, but she would have been killed by him. It's taken me a year to get to this far. Since I got this case, it's been a year and a half. Those teeth have been at the lab for almost a year. So it's slow. That YSTR test he mentioned is often used in forensics and paternity. YSTRs are taken specifically from the male Y chromosome. And STR stands for short tandem repeat. All right, so even though the process has moved really slowly so far, it sounds like we could know the truth about what happened to Diana this year, or maybe in 2021, assuming the DNA comes back and matches Mike. But what if it doesn't? Let's say, hypothetically, and this, we're working on this, hypothetically, it doesn't match up with that male DNA profile on that ligature and bra. You go, oh, shit. Now you got a problem, right? Now you could come in, it could be associated with the other case. Some strangers out there killing people. But you want to eliminate one first. But if it comes back where it's not Reamers, I mean, that's our theory, then we go to the next step, which would be really getting in with Pierce County and checking with those people. You know what I'm saying? Working closer than we already have. Because I know they have some stuff at the lab on their case also, but they're probably having the same problem that we have is they're cold cases and they have low priority, you know, as far as getting processed. I reached out to Pierce County as well to see if they had any updates on Stephen and Ruth's murders. I never heard back. Though according to Detective Beale, if they have DNA waiting to be processed as well, that could mean both of these cases might be solved soon, which would be huge. And I can only imagine how much of a relief that would be for all of the families involved They've been waiting literal decades for answers. If you have any information that could help find Stephen and Ruth's killer, please contact the Tacoma and Pierce County Crime Stoppers at tpcrimestoppers.com. Or you can anonymously call 1-800-222-TIPS. Diana and Mike's cases are being handled by Lewis County, where Detective Beale works. And yes, I'll be sure to release an update as soon as any DNA results become available. In the meantime, you can compare these three or possibly four murders by looking at all the resources in my show notes. They're over at washedawaypodcast.com. And before I let you go, I wanted to make it clear that I stand with the Black Lives Matter movement, and I 100% condemn how the police treat people of color in this country. I understand saying that might make it harder for me to find experts to interview on this podcast in the future, but I don't care. Part of the reason this episode took so long to release was because I didn't want to promote this podcast during such an important time in history. I didn't want to take any attention away from what's happening in the streets of the United States and more locally right here in Seattle. Personally, I've been protesting, donating, signing petitions, 
And most importantly, I've been educating myself on how I can practice anti-racism in my daily life. And I hope you're doing the same. I'm also going to make it a point to not just cover unsolved cases about white people on this podcast, something I've failed in doing so far, but I pledge to do better going forward. And if there's a case you'd like to see me cover, please let me know. Send me an email to washedawaypodcast at gmail.com. Washed Away is a Cosmic Bigfoot production. Find out more at CosmicBigfoot.com. For show notes, sources, images, and transcripts, visit WashedAwayPodcast.com. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at WashedAwayPod. If you want to help this podcast reach more listeners, you can do that by leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple. I'm Ashley Smith, and I'll have another episode for you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.